Shabbat Shalom and blessings. We are in scroll one of Yechezkel, the book of Ezekiel. Scroll one, which was in the sixth month, the fifth year, um, excuse me, the um, sixth month, the fifth day, and the sixth year. Um, This section actually is Ezekiel chapter 11. What's called chapter 11 is where we're going to start this week, jumping right into the text, Ezekiel, what's called chapter 11 in the Masoretic text. Moreover, the Ruach lifted me up. Now remember, Ezekiel is having a vision. He's given a vision, and then he's going to go and report this vision to the elders of Israel that have already been exiled to Babylonia. So he's reporting the vision, and this is an opportunity for them to repent because he's reporting the impending judgment and destruction that has come against Jerusalem, and the exiles need to hear what is going on. So the hopes is that they will make a turnaround and make repentance, teshuva in the Hebrew, and be restored. Moreover, the Ruach lifted me up, and it brought me to the east gate of Yahuwah's house, which looks eastward, and see at the door of the gate 25 men, among whom I saw Yah Azayah, the son of Azur, and Pelatayahu, the son of Benyahu, the leaders of the people. So Ezekiel is lifted up by the Ruach. He goes as if transported in this vision, and he sees, what does he see? He sees the 24 costly priests, excuse me, and the high priest, and what are they up to? No good. In this vision, he sees the Levitical priests and the Levitical high priest, the 24 orders of the priest plus the high priest. And this demonstrates to us just how defiled and how far gone the leaders, the religion, and the faith had become in Israel. From the top down, the high priest and the 24 orders of the priests have become so corrupted. How does this relate to us today? Well, as we are now returning from the exile and we're coming out of Babylon, we're starting to question things. We're returning to the covenant. We're returning to the scriptures. And one of the big things that people start to look into is keeping the feasts and the Sabbaths. But then the question comes up, well, what calendar do I keep? There's so many various calendars. Do we do the Hillel calendar? And then you get into start going down that rabbit hole of calendaration. Just a word to the wise. Based upon this text and history, this is one very good reason why I don't set the feastal calendar by the hybrid math of the Dead Sea Scrolls Enoch and the book of Jubilees. Firstly, they're not scripture. And secondly, because you don't want to start tying your calendar back to the 24 orders of the priests because it's totally corrupted. 
It had become so corrupted, they were literally worshipping the sun. It was pagan sun god worship. So whatever calendar you do, look to the scripture. Don't start looking to extra biblical works like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Enoch, Jubilees, and then try to match it with some crazy math to the 24 orders of the priests. Because you can see at this stage in history, they had already become so corrupted with the solar worship of the deities that Ezekiel is calling them out. Look at verse 3. Who say, it is not near, let us build houses. This city is the cooking pot and we are the meat. So right now, what's happening is the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they're twisting the word of Yahuwah. They're twisting the prophecies. And they're saying, like unto, well, you know, if you were to cook some meat... You're not going to take the meat out of the cooking pot until the meat is fully cooked. Meaning, we live in Jerusalem, the cooking pot. We're not going to go into the exile until our lives are ready to be over. It's not going to happen to us. Not our generation. Our lives will be lived out fully in the pot. But that wasn't so. Jerusalem here in this analogy is the pot and their very beings, the very meat. The people were given over to this vain imagination. They thought just as meat remains in a pot until it's completely cooked, well, so they would be secure within the walls of Jerusalem until their lives were completed. They perverted the prophecies of what we will see later because of the security that they felt. They were living with a full sense of security. Today, it's the same thing. We live in a world where people are appeasing their lives, they're appeasing the way they live because they live in this false sense of security. You start talking to them about biblical things, oh, that happened thousand, that's not going to affect me. I am going to get to live out my life. For a long, long time, enjoying all of this comfort, all of this luxury, I am protected by all of the technology and all of the Western medicine and all of this stuff all around me. It's not going to happen to me. A false sense of security. And today our society believes that it's so secure due to its instant tech servants, right? These tech servants that we have, we can call up on our phones and Everything's at the the touch of a button. But what happens when our tech servants turn on us and become our very masters and we become the slaves? Is that possible? Could that happen? Well, I think it's very much if you start to pay attention, you see how much spying is going on and how much control these so-called tech servants have. Who's the servant and who's the master? It's not long before you realize that you have a false sense of security. You think all your finances are secure? Could be wiped out at a touch of a button. You think that your access to food and hydration is so secure? It'll be gone within three days. Those grocery stores will be literally empty. 
So it's a false sense of security. The whole world. Think about the aging power grid that needs to be updated, that has needed to be updated for decades. What about banking? What about defense? This is all being run by our tech servants, which could very much likely turn and become the masters of the people that are enslaved to it. So the Jerusalemites, at this time, they were twisting Jeremiah's prophetic words into a heretical message. Look what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29 verse 4, because they're twisting his words. And today, that's what you're seeing from the pulpits. More and more churches are literally twisting the words of Scripture to give the people a full sense of security. Oh, you're not going to go through the tribulation. Oh, you've got everything. You've got faith. That's all you need. It breeds this full sense of security by twisting Scripture. Because Jeremiah tells us in chapter 29, verse 4, So says Yahuwah Savot the Elohim of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have caused to be exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. When according to my word, 70 years have been fulfilled in Babylon. Meaning, Go and get comfortable. You're not going anywhere for a long, long time. You may as well settle in because you're not leaving for 70 years. They're twisting the words of Scripture because they have a false sense of security. I think those of us that have been in the faith for some time, when we speak to others that maybe are not as zealous as us, It's because they have a full sense of security. Because the people that are teaching them are twisting the words of the prophets, the words of the prophecies. There is no need to hurry up and get righteous before Yahuwah because you've got all the time in the world. Well, it's just not so. It's just not so. Verse 4 Therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, O son of man. And the Ruach of Yahuwah fell upon me, and he said to me, Speak, this says Yahuwah, this have you said, O house of Israel. It's really as if Yahuwah is saying, Oh, I know what you've said, O house of Israel. Your, your metaphor, it is appropriate, but you haven't understood the metaphor correctly. Now, let me explain the metaphor. And then he goes on to say this. For I know the things that have come into your mind, every one of them. You have multiplied your slain in this city. You have filled the streets of it with the slain. Therefore, this says the master Yahuwah, your slain whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are flesh. And this city is the cooking pot but I will bring you out of the midst of it. You see, the truth is, just as meat, this is, an, this is so descriptive, you couldn't describe what's happening more perfectly 
than the way Yahweh does this. At first you read it and you go, well, well, what's this? You know, this is like, uh, what's this cooking analogy all about? But you literally, once you really start to look at this, you couldn't describe it more perfectly. It's amazing, the inspiration of the word of Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah says this, it's, it's just like the meat, think about it, just like the meat up against the wall of the pot with no intervening water will be burned by the heat. So too will the flesh of Jerusalem that is right up against the city walls with no space to buffer it. Their water source has been cut off. They will be burnt and destroyed. You know, if you've got a crock pot at home and it's cooking, you put some water in the cooking, in with the meat, what does it do? It slows the whole cooking process down. But if that meat is up against the wall and you remove the water source, which is exactly what happened in Jerusalem, the water source was cut off. So those bodies that thought that they were secure up against the walls actually were going to get burnt to a crisp. In fact, the judgment, the cooking was going to consume the meat. This is amazing when you really start to look at it, how Yahuwah explains this through the words of the prophet. Because those who claim that they would survive the Babylonian attack, they actually ended up murdering the people who wanted to make peace with Nebuchadnezzar. Because there was a segment of the Jerusalemites and they were like, uh, we need to go and make peace with, with, with Nebuchadnezzar. And they're like, no, we're going to be fine. And their voices were like, no, we should go out and make peace with Nebuchadnezzar. So they murdered those that wanted to make peace with Nebuchadnezzar. They filled the very back alleys of Jerusalem with the bodies of those that they had murdered to try and conceal the crimes. This is how wicked they had become. This is how wicked they had become. And don't think it's going to be any different in the end days. Don't think it's going to be any different in the end days. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of people, and you can see them now politically, you can see it in the spectrum, can't you? They want to make nice with the globalists. Oh, they want to make nice with the globalists. And you, you that have the biblical faith, that want to return back to the former things, you that maybe are patriotic, you that are more conservative, you that want to do Bible things Bible ways, guess what? They'll have no qualms in slaughtering you with the edge of the sword because they would rather go with the globalists and you're a nationalist and you have faith. Don't think that it won't happen. It'll flip, but it's the same premise. So we have to see how this prophetic vision rolls forward into our days. Because right now we live in a world where there is globalism versus nationalism. And if you're a nationalist, usually you're a person of faith. Because globalism is liberal, liberalism to the degree of secularism where you can pretty much do anything. But those of us that are coming to faith start to see the importance of nationalism because nationalism ties back to community and community ties back to faith. But globalism is a wash in the sea of idols of the world. Can you see that? And that's what we're 
up against. Look at Micah chapter 3 verse 1 because Micah really explains the abominations that were going on at the time that the prophet Ezekiel is now seeing in his vision. Micah chapter 3 verse 1 very descriptively says, O house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who pull the skin off them, their flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and strip their skin off them, and they break their bones and chop them into pieces like that in the pot, like those in the middle of the kettle. Abominations were abounding, and Micah calls them out. Back to our text in Ezekiel 11, verse 8. You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the Master Yahuwah. And I will bring you out of the midst of it and deliver you into the hands of foreigners and will execute judgment among you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you in the borders of Israel. I will judge you in the borders of Israel, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. This city shall not be your cooking pot, neither shall you be the meat in the midst of it, but I will judge you in the borders of Israel. You see, they feared the military might of Babylon. They were terrified of the military might of Babylon. So what did they do? Well, let's go and make some alliances. Why don't we go make alliances with Pharaoh? Yes, you know what? We're afraid. Let's make an alliance with the world. If you love the world, then you make yourself an enemy of Yahuwah. And that's what we're seeing today. You and I... We see what's happening and we turn to Yahuwah. But the people in the world, they may see that things are unsettled. So where will they turn? They will turn more to the world. They will try and make alliances with the world. And it creates this disparity, this polarization. And we live in a very polarized world and a very polarized society between the secularists and those that are returning to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. There is this polarization, but everyone's making alliances. We make alliances with Yahuwah and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the world... And those in the world make stronger ties and alliances with the world. And it causes the disparity that we see today. The polarization of the nations and the globalists are, of course, fermenting this polarization through all media channels, through the servants, which will become the masters, your phones, all of your computers. Eventually, it's going to come down to this tech apocalypse, and they're starting to even put machinery and human hybrids together. I mean, it really is quite astounding what they're developing out there. But what was happening in the context of Scripture is the Jerusalemites feared the military might of Babylon, so they formed an alliance with Egypt, thinking that the Egyptians, the world, would save them from the sword of Babylon. And it was all vanity. 
Vanity, vanity, vanity. Because the Babylonians, what did they do? They ended up defeating the Egyptians and Israel was left exposed. At the end of the day, guess what? You can make alliances with the world, but the scripture tells us that the master of glory will come with a drawn sword, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. So you better choose who you're going to ally yourself with. Because that is the reality of the days that we are living in. And we see more and more people going with the world. More and more people going with the world. And you become stranger and stranger. And this is a harder message to now communicate because people are literally got earbuds in, screens, their faces are lit up by their screens, and they do not have time for reading the Bible and meditating on the word of Yahweh. That's old-fashioned and archaic. What are you talking about? But no, this is paramount that we understand the word and that we get our daily dose of word, prayer, and supplication. Look at what the word continues now as we go into verse 12. But the city, it won't be a pot for them, but, but they will be like meat within it, really. Because the city won't protect them as a pot protects its stew, but they will be like meat that is just overcooked in a pot. And what happens when you overcook meat in a pot? It kind of shreds, doesn't it? It begins to shred. And eventually, you just got to scoop it up and throw it out. And that's exactly, exactly what happens to the inhabitants. In fact, turn to 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 4, and it'll tell you here exactly. Remember Zedekiah? He thought that he could get away with it. He thought, you know what? I'm going to escape. Look what it says in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 4. By the king's garden, he thought he could sneak out. You see a lot of these globalists, they think they're going to get away to some fancy island somewhere or they're going to tunnel in under the Denver airport or they're going to... No, it's not going to happen. Zedekiah thought he could do the same thing. You think that you can just get off to your oasis and nothing's going to happen. But the reality is when Yahuwah brings forth judgment, not even the elite will escape. Not even the elite will escape. And by the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were against the city all around. And the king went the way toward the plain. This is 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 4. And the army of the Chaldees pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. And they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah. And they gave judgment on him. And they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. That was the last thing that he ever saw. And they put out his eyes, the eyes of Zedekiah, and they bound him with bronze chains of judgment and carried him into Babylon. That was the end of the elite in those days. What will be the end of the elite in these days? Look at verse 12 now of our text. 
in chapter 11 of Ezekiel. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, for you have not had your ways in my statutes or my judgments, but have done after the customs of the Gentiles that are all around you. You've become secularized. You've become totally influenced by the world. Look at verse 13 and a half. You shall make a full end. Will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? And we look around us and we go, where is everybody? Where are all the believers? Will you make an utter end to the remnant of Israel? And look what it says in verse 14. And again, the word of Yahweh came to me saying, son of man... As for your brothers, even your brothers, the men of your relatives, and the whole house of Israel are those to whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said. Now, if you look at this verse 14 and 15, this verse actually refers to four categories. You can see the categories. Number one, you've got the priests. Number two, you've got the Levites. Number three... You've got the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And number four, you've got the members of Judah and Benjamin. Because that was the territory that we're talking about. And Yahuwah says, distance yourself. It says, distance yourself from Yahuwah. To us is this land given in possession. This is what they were thinking. They were thinking, no, no, no matter what, let's kind of distance ourselves from Yahuwah. This land is our possession. And how many times today do you hear people say, well, I deserve this. I, 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 and when people start talking like that, it makes me very nervous. Because I'm like, in reality, I know what I deserve. I haven't got my just deserves because of his mercy. Let's really talk about what humanity deserves. And we'll look and reflect back on Sodom and Gomorrah. We haven't got what we deserve. But these people, they thought, well, let's distance ourselves from Yahuwah because this land is our possession. The people of Jerusalem were so far gone. They were so sick and demented in their thinking that they actually thought their brethren had been taken into exile, not because of their sin, but because they failed to worship the idols that were up in the temple. That's how far gone they were. And today, when you start talking to people, they are so far gone that when you start talking about biblical things, biblical ways, they think that you are so far gone yourselves because they're so far gone with the world that they can't even compute. Because their world is all about appeasing idols and making themselves like the very idols that they worship. And we can see the spread more and more as the days come on. We can see the spread more and more as the days come on. The people of Jerusalem, they believed that their brothers were exiled, not because of sin, but because they hadn't worshipped the idols. So they were like, let's distance ourselves from Yahweh. This land is our possession. Let's worship the idols more and we'll be fine just right here. They weren't worshiping the idols enough. Wow, amazing. Because while they stayed in Jerusalem, they thought they would be safe because their idols would protect them. 
That's what they really thought. So it was a combination of self-delusion and indifference to the plight of their exiled brethren, not recognizing the sins that had brought upon the exile, and they denied the prophetic warnings therein. They denied the prophetic warnings of Jeremiah, and were they going to heed the prophetic warnings of Ezekiel? Or were they? Look what it says in chapter 11 verse 16. Therefore say this, says the master Yahweh, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be to them a little kadosh place in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say this, says the master Yahweh, I will return, even gather you, from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. And we know that the ten tribes will ultimately return with the coming of Yahushua, who is, of course, the man in linen dipped in blood. Prophetically, we know this. But the promise of restoration, if repentance is performed, is now described through verses 18 through 22. But this was a conditional decree. And did they repent? They didn't repent. So were they restored? No, they weren't. So you have to understand the conditional decree of verses 18 through 22. Because Yahweh said, well, you know, I will give them a heart of flesh. Of course, a heart of stone is a metaphor for a hard-hearted person, a stubborn refusal to accept criticism, a stubborn refusal to admit error. You and I are supposed to be different than that. We are supposed to have hearts that are able to be soft and humble and to accept reproof. But look at verse 22, because now we see the departure of the glory of Yah. Then did the cherubim, the cherubim, lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of Elohim of Israel was above them. And the glory of Yahweh went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city." Of course, this was the Mount of Olives. And later we would know in the prophetic future that the disciples would gather, of course, with the Master himself. After his death and even after his resurrection, they would go there and gather upon that Mount. In fact, there is actually a cave up on the Mount of Olives, if you ever, if we ever do a tour of Jerusalem or a tour of Israel, it'd be nice to see that. But um, you can actually um, access this cave where the disciples and Yahushua would go on the Mount of Olives, even to this day. I believe it's in the grounds of a church. Um, I think it's called the Paternaster Church or something up on the Mount of Olives. There's a cave in the grounds of that church where they actually believe that this was the area where the disciples would meet and congregate. It was a a place, of course, they were being persecuted not only by the Romans but by the Jews 
the Pharisees, what better place to meet up on the Mount of Olives but in a cave, right? Of course. So again, this cave served as a secret gathering place for early believers. This was really the first congregation of Yahusha up there on the Mount of Olives. And this cave, of course, was located on a route that Yahusha would have traveled many, many a times as he went from Jerusalem to Bethany where he visited his his good friends Martha and Mary and, of course, we know Lazarus. But um, Yahusha went to this hill not only when he was crucified, but in his greatest hour of need, when he was in that time of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was just um, just a little bit further up the hill. And at the bottom of the hill, you'd find this cave today, which uh, I think would be a fascinating place to go and actually um, venture into, don't you? Look at verse 24 of chapter 11. Afterwards, the Ruach took me up and brought me in a vision. It's a vision by the Ruach of Elohim into Chaldea to those in the exile. So the vision that I had seen departed from me. Then I spoke to those of the exile all the things that Yahuwah had shown me. So now he's had the vision. He's now going to the exiles, the elders of Israel, in Babylonia, and he's communicating what he saw in this vision. Will you repent? Will you repent? This is the conditional decree of restoration, but they still wouldn't repent. They still wouldn't repent. Look at chapter 12, because now Yahweh is going to show those in the exile a word picture, and he's going to ask Ezekiel to pack his bags And hopefully they'll pay attention to what Ezekiel's doing. Ezekiel now prepares baggage for the exile. Look at verse 3 of chapter 12. Therefore, son of man, prepare baggage for exile and go into exile during the day in their sight. And you shall be exiled from your place to another place in their sight. Now, if you look at verses 3 through 6, excuse me, before their eyes is used a whopping six times. And it's a counterpoint to the description that they have eyes to see, but they do not see. Do you see that? Verse 3 to 6 also symbolizes the three exiles. Of course, the first exile was the ten tribes from the land. The second exile was that of Jehoiachin. And then the third exile, that for which Zedekiah and the remaining residents of Jerusalem were to be destined. So Zedekiah's future blinding at the hand of the Chaldeans is prophetically unmasked, right? Do you see? Do you see? You don't see. In fact, you're so blind, you will be blinded. And the last thing you will see, do you see? I mean, this is prophecy. He's telling Zedekiah, open up your eyes, man. Otherwise, you literally won't see. Because they have eyes to see, but they do not see. Because they were ignoring the prophetic warnings. 
We live amongst the people that have eyes to see. They see more than they should see, but they do not see. We live in a society that has got more visual stimuli than the whole of humanity has ever had up until this point. Yet we are more blind than we have ever been. Humanity sees more today than the whole of humanity has ever seen up to this point. But we are more blind than we have ever been. Do you think that Yahweh's words speak to us today? They have eyes to see, but they do not see. And is it possible... Just as the, the prophet Ezekiel was literally told to walk out to communicate a message, is it possible that Yahweh could raise up people in these days to literally walk out and communicate something because of a prophetic message that he's trying to communicate? You people are, have got more vision, but you are more blind than anyone has ever, ever experienced on the whole face of humanity. And at the end of days, even the righteous will be slain and the whole world will see their bodies laid down in the streets of Jerusalem. And you and I used to wonder, well, what will they broadcast that? Will we all be in front of our little square? Well, they weren't little, were they? Those big square televisions that were like this thick. But now, you know, people just get an instant message to their device. I mean, you can literally see how this could very well happen because they were ignoring the prophetic warnings now Yahweh instructs Ezekiel to take new measures to symbolize Yahweh's message in concrete ways just as Jeremiah had done beforehand and I do believe it is very possible in our day that because people have ignored the prophetic warnings that have gone forth, that Yahweh would raise up men to take new measures today to symbolize Yahweh's message in concrete ways, just as Jeremiah describes here in Jeremiah 51, verse 63, as it is written there. And it shall be, when you have made an end of reading this book, you shall tie a stone to it and throw it in the middle of the Euphrates. And you shall say, in this way shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring on her. And they shall be weary, so far are the words of Jeremiah." Yahweh symbolizes a message in a concrete way to show the people what is going to happen. And likewise, we live in mystery Babylon. And mystery Babylon, likewise, is prophetically destined to sink like a stone, to be conquered by the globalists and destroyed. But first, there's going to be a greater exodus. Those of us that have eyes to see, we will heed the times and there will be a greater exodus. But mystery Babylon is destined, just like Babylon, to sink like a stone. And most people won't even recognize it as it's happening before their very eyes. 
the tapestry is being unraveled. Do you see? Do you see? Or do you just go along? Oh, everything's going to be fine. The walls of the city are all around us. Everything is as before. Everything is before. Just surround yourselves with more worldly people and you'll feel fine because they're all fine. But when you surround yourself by the righteous and you start communicating together, you're like, oh, I can see. Let's make preparation. Implements of exile make preparation. A bag, a mat, maybe a dish. Each could be used for several purposes, right? This is what Yahweh was showing Ezekiel. Take a bag, take a mat, take a dish. Number one, the bag is good, but you could put flour in it and you could use it as a pillow. Number two, the dish is good, but it could also be used to eat and drink. Number three, the mat is good, but you could also sit on it and sleep on it. Are you prepared? Had the Jews listened to the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, at least they would have prepared bread for themselves in a kneading bowl. But they didn't even do that. Instead, Lamentations tells us this. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 16. He also broke my teeth with gravel. He has covered me in ashes. Well, what is that all about? What about Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 30? But every man shall die in his iniquity. Every man who eats bitter grapes, his teeth will be blunt. So Yahweh broke your teeth with gravel and your teeth ended up blunt. Why? Because the exiles didn't even heed the message of preparation. If you'd have taken a bag, you could have at least filled it with flour and had a nice pillow. If you'd have taken a dish, you could have at least filled it with food and water. And if you'd have taken a mat like the prophet had told you, you would have at least had a place to lie down and sleep. But you won't heed the message of the prophets you won't hear and so when it comes when it comes then your teeth will be blunted why because the exiles they had to dig holes in the ground in which to knead their dough they couldn't even knead the dough so when they needed the dough in the holes in the ground the dough picked up the gravel and they ate the bread and the gravel blunted their teeth because they wouldn't even heed the message of the prophets you and i i see it all around and i speak to people and they're like they're literally, literally will have blunted teeth. Blunted teeth. And I just have to walk away. And it is so disheartening. And it is so discouraged. Because I know what's going to happen. You know what's happening if you read the word of Yahuwah. But it seems futility to those that are perishing futility to those that are perishing perishing the exiles they literally had to dig holes in the ground in which to knead their dough and the pebbles got stuck to the dough which they baked over their own excrement and when they ate the bread their teeth were blunted they had no vision the significance the significance of this tale 
went down through the history of Israel. Israel remembered this tale. They remembered this tale for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the significance of this tale, of the implements of exile and the punishment, it was never lost on the national consciousness of Israel. So why do you think in Luke chapter 10, that Yahushua says this, because he's maximizing their history, and he is now going to turn it and use it to try and get them to make repentance, because they knew this prophecy. And Luke chapter 10 is recording this prophecy, and Yahushua is trying to use their past for glory and good, because he is so merciful and compassionate, and we miss it because we don't know Israel's history. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Remember now that Yahushua is going to exploit their history and deliberately contrast it, because now we're going to see this in the New Testament. Instead of 70 years of exile, he sends out what? 70 disciples into the 70 nations and he makes sure of what he's very explicit he makes sure that they have no that is zero no implements of exile he is very specific not like the former times this time you're going to go not into babylon for 70 years you are not going to take the implements of exile i will not permit it you 70 are going to go out to the 70 nations and you will take no implements of exile will accompany you because this is not a mission of judgment this is a mission of mercy this is the contrast look at luke chapter 10 verse 1 and after these things yahushua appointed 70 others and he sent two and two before his face into every city and place where he was about to come and then he said unto them the harvest is truly great but the laborers are few Therefore pray to the master of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor bag nor sandals. Do not take any implements of exile. This is not a mission of judgment. This is a mission of mercy. Remember the times of old and the implements of exile. They wouldn't heed the words of the prophets and their teeth became blunted because they had to knead their bread in the bowls of the ground and the gravel blunted their teeth and judgment came. But no, not 70 years of exile. Now you go 70 into the nations this is a mission of mercy and that is the contrast and he is maximizing israel's history to contrast judgment and mercy and that is the elohim we serve he weighs the scales perfectly but you have got to be aware of the days that we live in there is not an idle word in Scripture. And Luke chapter 10 isn't just Yahushua saying, oh yeah, don't take... No, he has a specific reason why he's saying it, and it links us all the way back to the judgment. 
and the implements of exile. It's a powerful stuff. And then Ezekiel now starts to dig through the wall. Look at chapter 12, verse 5. Dig through the wall in their sight and bring them out through it. In their sight shall you bear it upon your shoulders and carry it out in the twilight. You shall cover your face that you do not see the land. How could the people be so blind? How could they be so blind? They saw that they were banished from the land. They heard all the exhortations of the prophets and they ignored everything. Instead, they listened to the soothing words and they continued to plan, excuse me, to build their homes. They continued to plan to build their homes. They listened to all the soothing words. And here we have Ezekiel. He's tunneling. He's tunneling through the wall, right before their very eyes, symbolizing Zedekiah. Zedekiah, who'll try and turn and escape. He'll think, oh, I can tunnel through the wall, go through my garden, get away from the Chaldeans at nighttime through a tunnel-like cave. But he ended up losing his very sight too. Look at Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 4. And it happened when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, Then they fled and went out from the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls. And he went out by the way of the plain, but the Chaldean army pursued him. This passage of scripture, this first scroll that we're seeing being unraveled, this vision that Ezekiel gives, it is not lost on me. It certainly is not lost on our generation. This is a prophetic warning to thus and you and I that live in this generation. Remember, as we return to the things of Yahuwah, do not get caught up in doubtful disputations. This passage opens up with the Levitical high priest and the 24 orders of the priest corrupted through sun god worship. Don't Set your feastal calendar by the hybrid math of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Enoch and Jubilees, which will tie you back to these abominations of these 24 priestly courses. They were apostate, pagan, sun god worshippers. There's no point getting caught up in doubtful disputations when you have the word and history tells you how corrupted that 24 priestly courses was. But we also have to be aware of our surroundings and don't live with a false sense of security. Just because you've got all this tech around you and everything's at the press of a button and you think that everything's secure, you think all of your finances and all of your retirement and all of your, you think that's all secure. You think that all that food in the grocery store, it's always going to be there. You think that water's always going to run into Jerusalem to keep that meat from burning by the walls of the pot. Well, it wasn't so then and it won't be so in the end of days either. So let your security be on things above, not on things of this world. Because when our society believes it's so secure, 
because of the tech servants. It's only a matter of time before they flip the switch and the tech servants become the tech masters and you become the slaves. And people are literally enslaved to their devices. If you're going to go out for dinner with friends, you're going to sit around the table with your family, put your machines away. Pray for one another. Open the word. Just put your machines away and have communion with one another. But people can't even do that. Be alert. Be alert in the days that we live. Because the globalists are warmongering with Medo-Persia, are they not? The globalists are warmongering with Medo-Persia. They're trying to form global alliances against Iran, against Syria, and against its allies, Russia. They're trying to ferment this war, and we see it more and more. Their global alliances, they think, will save them from impending Doom. They think their global alliances will save them from the sword of nationalism and religion. But people who have faith are waking up and saying, globalism isn't for me. Nationalism in faith, founded with biblical principles, creates community. Globalism dilutes, separates, and causes disunity and servitude to masters of tech. We see the disparity in the days that we are living, and really it is a war against the faithful and the faithless, is it not? Be aware of these things, and don't be blinded by the idolatry and idols of the age. They're everywhere. We see more than any generation on the face of the planet has ever seen, yet we are more blind than anybody that has lived before because we are asleep to the realities of the Bible coming alive in our days. Yahushua is the only, the final option available. There is no other option but blinding and having your eyes plucked out or literally having the vision of the heavenlies and the master returning in glory. But he won't be returning as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. And it's time for us to really awaken to the days that we're living because it becomes more and more apparent to me that people, they see, 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 but ultimately they're blind, blind, blind. So as we go through this scroll, be awakened, be alert, and be empowered to go out in community with one another. Questions, comments. This was, a, for me, just really invigorating, being able to be in the Word, being able to go back in time, and then come forward and see This is literally the days that we are living prophetically. How Yahweh's word can literally move and live because it is alive. It is alive by him who is in us. And greater is he who is in us than is in the world. Don't let the spirit of the world corrupt the people that Yahweh has called you to be. Abba, we thank you for this time. Pray that your word go out. Be blessed and bless the people, Father, we pray in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.